so it's about CrossFit Games athlete and stuff like that. And so he says, like, basically, when you get there at that level, when you're at the, the CrossFit Games, there's, say, 40 male and 40 female athletes that are individuals. And he's just saying that, hey, excellence is like the price of admission. That's just how you get in the door. And so it's not like some special thing. And so that's just the way you get in. So I, I, I kind of changed my way I think about it. Like, hey, like just being knowledgeable about all these different areas, mm -hmm. that's that's just expected. That should be a given. When you're trying to create uh, some of these training environments, you want to align winning with learning because ultimately as competitors, as players, mm. uh, the winning aspect will take over. And so if, if what they're supposed to learn does not directly line up with the winning of that task, uh, drill, challenge, then they're not going to take away what you want them to take away. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect the very best baseball minds in our game. Episode 111 and rolling towards the end of 2018. Our upcoming ABCA convention in Dallas is looming, but we are maintaining laser focus behind the mic, locked into developing some of the very best baseball content out there for you the coaches, the players, the parents, the enthusiasts who are dialing in each week for a terrific conversation. Another one on deck for all of us today. Quick reminders to subscribe, review, and share, especially the last one there. Share this show with as many folks as you can. Help us keep spreading the great word. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity and our upcoming convention are all about. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Okay, we always throw the nods to our social media posts, the coaches who are taking the share step seriously when it comes to social media, and we love and appreciate that, guys. Keep those coming for sure. But this week, the nod is going to those who sat down and composed some heartfelt emails that truly rock us here in the national office. Two in particular jumped out, and all were appreciated, but these two were just gold. First one came from Wallace Oliveira from Roosevelt High School in Dallas. That, among other things, he opened up about his outright addiction to the podcast. And that's one that we recognize, but also support. So we will keep them coming, Wallace. You keep taking them in. And then Ian Eshelman, assistant at Arkansas Baptist, met this young coach out on the Barnstormers Trail a few weeks ago, and Ian stumbled onto the podcast and is going from episode one all the way till now, in order, tracking our journey here. So it was moving to hear how he, just like we talk about on the show frequently, felt himself being moved by the baseball content, but it was more of the message of players first, relationships matter, and dedicating his focus to coaching that really stuck out. So awesome, Ian. And we appreciate you and all of our coaches dropping notes, tweets, texts, or calls on us. Keep them coming, and maybe you'll hear your name over the airwaves. 
Also proud to send a shout out to our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. It is the holiday season and it's almost that time for school to be out for break and you find yourself with more free time. And here's a suggestion. Head over to AstroTurf.com and build your own AstroTurf field of dreams. Use their field configurator to add in your own logos, colors, designs, all that stuff, and call it your own. Check that out. For more information, head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com. And find out why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now, we know that our coaches love talking about every aspect of the game, but Man, you guys love hitting, and we had to bring it back to the podcast before we break for the holidays and prep for our convention, and we rounded up two of the very best to help us break it down. Both men find themselves moving to new organizations as we head into the spring, and we welcome in Jeff Albert, the newly named MLB hitting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, and also Dylan Lawson, the newly hired hitting coordinator for the New York Yankees. And you'll find out very quickly that both these guys are deep thinkers. And heads up, you will be challenged. I was throughout the entire show. But they take us on a tour of how they learn, how they see the trends inside of our game, how they both find themselves moving over from the Houston Astros organization to new clubs who are eager to adapt more fully into the current climate and also build for the future. And a lot of great takeaways inside of this one as we open up aspects like training, and body movements and ideas that apply directly to all levels of baseball so heads up again bring a pen of paper along for the ride with you you're going to need it and this wasn't just some t-work couple front flips before bp kind of prep we set up the slider machine on 105 on field and we went to work before we called in jeff albert from the st louis cardinals and dylan lawson from the new york yankees as these guys jump on a call as our guest on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We've got a fantastic episode on deck when we're going to spend some time talking with two hitting coaches in Major League Baseball and the opportunity to reflect on their growth, but also expand on kind of where things are going, where they're at, and where they see the future for hitting, especially in the Major League space. An opportunity to learn, get some takeaways. Let's connect with Dylan Lawson, the hitting coordinator for the New York Yankees, past podcast guest. Dylan, thanks for jumping back on with us. It's always a great time. Thanks for having me again. We're excited to have you on. We also got the newly named hitting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, Jeff Albert. Jeff, thanks for joining our podcast. Thanks for having me, Sheets. Excited again. Connecting with you guys and having a hitting conversation, a topic that comes up a lot with our coaches. Hey, can we talk hitting? Obviously, we know the popularity of it, but more in particular for you guys, both jumping into new locations, uh, new organizations. Uh, it's a great time to just get some thoughts out, especially as we get wrapped up uh, here in the national office for our Dallas convention. But where we start our podcast as always, and Dylan, I'll let you kick this one off since you have some experience relative to this question. When you think about your ABCA experience over the years, heading to conventions, uh, and maybe how it's grown you as a coach. Can you open that up, Dylan? I think my first ABCA convention was uh, one way back when in San Diego. Um, things have changed a lot for me since then. Yeah, no um, doubt. It's, uh, but you know, even then it was a great experience and I still reference that, uh, convention a lot, especially talking with some, some old coaching friends and, um, how impactful it was then just being able to 
to learn so much. And I think every time you go back, you're still able to pick up something that you can add uh, into your coaching repertoire. So that's why we try to get there every year. No doubt. No doubt. Well, a little bit different. We'll get to your presentation here in a second, but a little bit different Absolutely. for you this year. Um, and Jeff, same question. We were talking before we got recording, man. Your first convention was last year. You had a chance to really take in what the ABCA is all about, and certainly coming back this year. Um, can you just talk about what that experience felt like? We're going to have a ton of first-time guys showing up there with us in Dallas. So take them through your experience, and certainly as you lead into to year two, how excited are you for the convention? I'm definitely looking forward to going back. Last year in Indianapolis was my first ABCA. Um, it was a no-brainer. Got the invite to do the um, the expo panel with with Driveline, um, Dylan, Dan Heepner. Uh, we had a group of guys up there, a couple more guys, and so it was really cool to to get up and kind of just share some some experience, some outlook over mm-hmm. basically what's been going on in baseball recently. Also, get back to Indianapolis where I went to school at Butler. Um, reconnect with uh, Coach Schrag and the guys at Butler, what they're doing there. Um, I got to meet so so guys like Rick Heller from Iowa and Steve Beezer and Tim Corbin and all these different guys around the game. Hmm. Um, so it was really cool to get back there and uh, not just go up and speak, but I had a lot of fun just connecting with coaches from, from all across the country. And um, honestly, I think that's something that I probably have been missing on for the past um, mm-hmm. 10 or 11 years. So okay. This is last year is my 11th year. In professional baseball and i think um you know my own misperception being kind of in pro baseball and 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 looking from the outside and and seeing abca and how involved it is with like say college and high school mm-hmm. that i probably overlooked the potential value from for myself while i was going through the coaching professional baseball world uh which i feel now is a definite mistake and i think the other thing was I was spending so much time or still spend a lot of time looking in areas outside of baseball for new ideas um, and new information. And so um, connecting with a, a bigger group and coaches from different levels at the ABCA um, last year at the convention, I think just opened my eyes to, yeah, it's okay to go to different areas to get valuable information, mm-hmm. but being able to then reconnect it to your, basically to your industry and your own organization and to other coaches. Um, I, I feel like I'd probably been losing or missing out on that potential. So it kind of opened my eyes uh, to that. So um, I kind of see now um, the ABCA is just being in this cool position to um, just help baseball coaches that are are just trying to learn um and and improve as coaches wherever they are it could be youth baseball high school college baseball pro baseball um you know it's this common ground where everyone's out there as a coach trying to do things better i love that and and i'm gonna jump on that that comment um you know we are great for amateur baseball that's been our our mission we started off as a college coaches only association and and they're on the 80s. We switched to allow high school coaches, and that's trickled into the travel coach, the academy coach. And now we've been the last two years working really hard for youth coaches. Uh, but it's a funny dynamic when you say amateur baseball because there's so many guys like Dylan, and again, the space that you're in now, and Jeff certainly walking into year two, Sean Larkin jumping up on the main stage. I mean, guys that have made their way into professional baseball. 
but they still see value and have seen value in being part of the ABCA. So we trickle into the professional ranks, and I'm going to charge you two as, as the spaces that you're in to uh, really start rallying those pro numbers, see if we can't amp those up. Uh, but, Jeff, you're coming back to Dallas to jump back on the Expo Theater stage and speak. Uh, can you give us a, some maybe some goals of your presentation, what you hope to uh, really uh, open up on that stage for our convention attendees? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I think right now the, the idea is along the lines of developing, you know, hitters in today's game. But um, I definitely – there's obviously things that are interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I like hearing from different coaches. So uh, you know you can you can tag me on Twitter and and hashtag ABCA convention or whatever the the hashtag ABCA is be this 2019. Year. There you go. So uh, hashtag ABCA 2019. Yep. If they're if they're if you're a coach and you're coming to the convention and you're coming to hear us talk at the, the Expo Theater, and there's a burning topic that you want to hear, uh, I'm not making any guarantees, but, um, <laughs> you know, throw it out there, and I'll definitely put it into consideration because it's, it's I, I, in this type of situation, I always want to provide value for the coaches that are there, but everyone's, like, in a little bit different situation. So if I just go up and talk about what's valuable to me, um, you know, my my area where I am might not be as far reaching as, as some of the other high school and college coaches that are out there. Sure. Um, what I have tried to do more recently is talk more about the bigger, more generalized picture for um, just continuing learning, continuing education, continuing coach development, things like that. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if, if you're challenging your players to learn and get better, you should probably be doing the same thing as a coach. Yep. Uh, I, I don't like to ask players to do things that I'm not doing in some way myself. Um, so I know that's a, a little bit of what I've talked about last year, like um, looking for ideas and areas of where information comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm honestly kind of on the fence if I kind of want to keep going in that direction or if I want to just try to pick out more um, specific examples of, um, you know, different areas of, of player development. So uh, still on the fence on that a little okay. bit. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Or, um, or that I'm, are you, I'm able to be influenced. Right there now. you go. <laughs> that or you're keeping your cards close. You've got a dynamite presentation wrapped up and you're going to, I love the fact that uh, I'm going to scratch your itch on that, that later in this, in this podcast. So we're going to get a little more in depth on uh, where you stand in terms of lifelong learning and the action steps that, that, uh, you know, go accordingly with that. Now, Dylan, you're obviously, there's like no sweat. There's no nervousness, uh, for the Dallas convention. You've been up on the main stage before a few years ago when you were at SEMO and then certainly spoke to the Expo Theater stage last year. Take us through this main stage presentation where you and, and the three other coaches are going to open up technology and analytics and how they're really influencing the game and how they can uh, almost leverage that to strengthen ourselves as coaches. You want to open up that? Yeah. Um, more and more, just we we even just did a, a or a clinic at Slugfest um, in Missouri at Missouri State, and so uh, went well. A lot of the topics were about technology, mm -hmm. new pieces of technology, what's out there, how people are using it, um, and so doing this uh, on the main stage, we've got somebody talking about you know Blast and, and Modus, and I believe it's Rapsodo mm -hmm. and. The, the piece that I'm going to try to round it out with is uh, steps that we as coaches can take um, that uh, that help us use the at least optimize the use of the technology. And mm -hmm. so there's uh, I'm going to go over basically these these seven steps that um, can be used to create 
and then implement um, at its fullest the the technology, whatever piece of technology that you're wanting to incorporate into your program. Mm. Love it, love it. And that's one that I know a lot of guys are excited about. We've had a chance to spend time out on the Barnstormers Tour with Blast and hear uh, not just what their technologies are, but other technologies and and see more coaches coming around. And as you guys know, as listeners of the show, we, we have continued to perpetuate that mantra of it. It's not going away. Learn to embrace it. Learn to try to understand it. Use what you can. And uh, But it, it can help your players, and it can enhance what you're doing as a coach. Now, this is, again, a broader question, but I think it gives us context for where the rest of this conversation is going. Um, when you think about your career in baseball, and Dylan, kick us off with this one. Just a quick glance of, of your career path, your journey, and then I think a key caveat to that question is major lessons along the way. Each stop along the way, what's kind of the lesson that jumps out to you? I'm very thankful. I, I guess just when you asked about the key lesson, I, I just can't help but think about the good people that I've been around. Sure. Um, and most of that has been by extreme luck. Um, but the good people and then trying to follow learning opportunities. I haven't necessarily done that every time, mm. but um, I know that when I can follow or when I, make decisions based upon what can I learn the most from. Yeah. As long as I follow that direction and that path, uh, I seem to be the most happy, the most fulfilled, um, and good things tend to come from that. Mm, That's good. So, um, a lot has clearly changed, uh, here recently with me, especially over the last five years, I wouldn't suggest, that coaching path for anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, basically what I'm talking about is, is my son will turn five at the end of April. He will have lived in five cities. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, it's been difficult, but I have a, I have a great family. Uh, my wife and my son are awesome and, um, they allow me to do some pretty crazy things, uh, for a job that I love. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm blessed for that. We, um, the going back even further into my coaching career, it was something that, uh, I, I don't think I've ever dreamt of this being a possibility, right? It's more or less just trying to keep my head down, do a good job, um, and, and, and do things that I believe in. Mm-hmm. If, if I end up learning new things and, it changes my beliefs, then I, I change directions, but uh, keeping my head down, working hard, and um, just hoping that in the end, that, that'll get me to where I want to be. I love it. You know, not everybody on this call remembers when you were a Division three player. Um, some of us do. <laughs> yes, you do. You do. And it, it's, uh, I've told you this many times that it tells you a lot about what kind of player I was when I was still playing and then working camps with you at the University of Kentucky. So, um, you're I destined was, to be a future starting. coach. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I just think again, your, your perspective of, of coaching college baseball, getting into professional baseball, going back to college and certainly back and, and, and taking over this coordinator role, uh, just says a lot about your work ethic, says a lot about who you are and your spirit of learning, uh, is apparent and always has been, which has been a, a neat dynamic to uh, put inside of a friendship. So we appreciate you jumping on. Uh, Jeff, same question, man. When you're thinking back to your career in baseball and you chronicle all those stops and certainly jumping on staff there with the Cardinals, take us into that 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 path, but at the same time, take us through the major lessons that you really picked up along the way. 
Yeah, so my kind of similar to Dylan, you know, I, I think I've been, I use Dylan as an example a lot yeah. to like other coaches about, you know, when they asked me about getting into professional baseball and things like that, because I don't know that Dylan was even, Dylan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that Dylan was actively even trying to do that. Um, he was doing what he was saying. He's like keeping his head down, learning, mm-hmm. working with his guys at SEMO, trying to figure out ways to get better. Mm-hmm. And I knew uh, immediately when I met Dylan, like it, it wasn't about any of the results that were happening at SEMO, even though it was getting result, getting good results. Yeah. What I recognized with Dylan was right away is like, you know, here's a great person with good values. Um, this guy is learning from different areas. You know, there was one day in particular when I, like there was a specific moment where I knew I wanted to hire Dylan Lawson for the first time. And he sent me a text message. Like he took a photo out of a motor learning textbook. And I think I'm pretty sure it had to deal with the difference between uh, blocked serial and random practice. Right. And he sent it to me and he goes, Hey, do you know about this? Are you doing this? I'm trying to figure this out. What do you think? And in my mind, this was like a year before he actually, I was with the Astros at the time. And this was like maybe a year before he actually came to join us for the first time with the Astros. And I was like, holy cow, no one is asked even thinking about this or asking me questions about this or doing whatever. And it wasn't just that he had the idea because now it's easy to turn on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and see people that have this or that idea. Sure. But he had the idea, you know, he was looking and asking those questions and he created this whole program for his college to do. And then they had re- the results and then he was trying to evaluate what the results are, good or bad. And so I was like, holy cow, this guy is like, not just having an idea, but turning it into action and applying it this way and like trying to figure out what's going on. Right. Um, so that kind of blew me away and, and set a bit of a standard for like, you know, these are these are the kind of guys that can um, be difference makers. So, um, you know, it, it was a cool time looking back on that and, and seeing what Dylan's been able to do in his career um, so far, because I think that really opens up a door for um, any coach. And it's not just if you want to get into professional baseball or not. Maybe you're happy doing college baseball or maybe you're, you know, you have a good situation at your high school or youth program or whatever you have. But I think that um that process of learning and applying it and evaluating the results like that's a that's a big deal sure um and so i was kind of like doing that a little bit mistakenly not so much like on purpose uh, to start my career i knew there were a couple things i knew i wanted to get in pro baseball i had no idea how i wanted to, how to do it mm-hmm. i thought the best way to do it was to be a strength and conditioning coach so i went back to graduate school to get my master's degree in exercise science um, and so I was writing at the time, doing video analysis, trying to link it up to uh, strength conditioning, data ball data, spray charts that were coming out. So this is like in 2006 and seven. Okay. Um, Jeff Luna had just come on with uh, the Cardinals. They were really making a move to um, to to be innovative in player development. So uh, long story short, he kind of saw what I was doing. I ended up getting an interview. And getting a job, my first coaching job, period, mm-hmm. with uh, with the Cardinals as a hitting coach in 2008, like two days after I finished my last test in graduate school. <laughs> um, so I came into pro baseball not only with no, I mean, I played a little bit independent ball, but I never played with an organization and affiliated ball. And not only that, I had zero coaching experience. Like that was my, I did not coach college, I did not coach high school. Right. That was like my first job. Um Period. It was definitely like a different way to get in the door. Um, I just think I had happened to be doing some unique things at the time with the combination of strength conditioning, video analysis, 
um, starting to look at the stats that were available, trying to figure out mechanics, trying to do all those different things. And, um, you know, at the time I was sending out my resume to basically every team and getting rejected by everybody. Um, and then because everyone say, hey, you're doing like these things in like four or five different areas, but those are all different areas. So we don't know what to call you or what area you're supposed to be in. Mm. And so when I got that first job with the Cardinals in 2008, like that was the message. They, they were the ones that originally said, hey, like you're doing all these different things and, and that this isn't really happening right now in uh, 2008. Um, we're going to give you a shot and see if you can come in here and like, and, and figure out a way to help us yeah. uh, do some things that we haven't been doing. So, um, yeah, kind of a, a different way to get in, but same thing Dylan was doing. Like, if you're just out there and 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 trying to do stuff, you know, there are people that are out there that are looking for you. Mm, love it. Love it, love it, love it. And certainly getting uh, on staff there at the Astros, Jeff, uh, spending some time there, obviously finding success in a lot of regards. And then now this new opportunity. How's, how did all that come about? Yeah, so it's, you know, talk about changing teams. So I'm changing teams again, but it's mm-hmm. been a lot of familiarity with just having relationships in, um, in both organizations. I think mm-hmm. it gets back to a question that you asked Dylan about, you know, changes over time as career as a coach. I think a big learning point for me has been the difference between trying to acquire knowledge and apply them in an individual way, like my own interaction with the players. Yeah. And then you know, kind of doing that for my first five years with the Cardinals and then transitioning into coordinator role when I went over to the Astros and then realizing that that wasn't good enough. Uh, my own individual coaching uh, wasn't as important as figuring out a way to say I learned something, whatever it is. Um, it became much more important to be able to impart that knowledge or information or new thing or whatever Uh throughout the organization so that's Mm -hmm. setting up the coaches like dylan was there like setting him up for success removing roadblocks so he can do a better job um making sure the information whether we're trying to apply uh like there was um a path for that information to get to the players and uh, an environment set up in such a way that the coaches and the players could continue to grow and we could basically try to move a larger group forward Mm. instead of you know me just trying to to go out and do things on my own, um, which is that's kind of what I meant when I was talking about um, kind of reconnecting to a to larger larger group. Sure. So I think that has definitely the transition from Cardinals at the beginning as a um, affiliate coach to Rover, and then now uh, to major leagues, kind of bringing it full circle. Yeah. I think has really highlighted for me that difference of kind of thinking of things more individually versus thinking of how to apply them in a much larger uh, group or organization. Mm, okay. And I'm going to come right back to you because I think a great question I know that our listeners would want to know, and I'm I'm always super curious on growth, and, and, and I've said that word a few times, but I think it's more of the ability for us to look back at where we started and I've said this a few times on the most recent shows to just rescue that wisdom, you know, not just take it as experience, but truly go back and go, wow, just for a minute, look how much I've grown. Look, look at where I was and what I was teaching Dylan. Some of the stuff we talked about at UK camp just is laughable now, but that's 2008. It's 10 years ago. And so when we look at that growth, Jeff, stay on this one. Um, where have you grown in that space? Like from then that first job in affiliated baseball, that first job, where have you grown from then to maybe your belief system and structure now? Uh, well, 
I, th I think the biggest thing is like the the leadership aspect. I mean, I think okay. being knowledgeable about like if you're a hitting coach and, and we're having a discussion, um, I expect you to be knowledgeable about mechanics and strikes on information, um, kind of developing technology, all that stuff. I feel like that's the bar like for entry. The standard. Um, there, there's um, uh, a couple quotes from this one book, and uh, I think it's, um, I forgot the name of it, Ben Bergeron, Chasing Excellence, I think the name is. Okay. And he made this quote. So it's about CrossFit Games athlete and stuff like that. And so he says, like, basically, when you get there at that level, when you're at the, um, the CrossFit Games, there's, say, 40 male and 40 female athletes that are individuals. And he's just saying that, hey, excellence is like the price of admission. Like, that's just how you get in the door. Um, and so it's not like some special thing. And so that's just the way you get in. So I, I, I kind of changed my way I think about it. Like, hey, like just being knowledgeable about all these different areas, mm -hmm. that's, that's just expected. That should be a given. And then I think um, at least so where I am in an organization. So you have, say, 150 minor league players, hitters, and the major league team and all the people involved. So that's a hitting coach and a manager uh, and a strength conditioning coach and a trainer. So that's four you know, at sometimes you have up, including the major league team, up to 10 teams. Mm. So that's 40 people involved right there, plus the other rovers and different things like that, not including the front office. So you're talking about now a group that, of over 200 people that's spread out in nine or 10 different cities. Right. And so if you have an idea about mechanics or whatever it is, that's fine. But how are you going to get that implemented at 10 teams sure. over 10 cities among 200 people? Like that's a much bigger uh, challenge. So that's the thing that for me, I didn't have a lot of choice about. It was like, you have to grow in this area, which I think is really interesting because now we're, we're talking so much about, um, you know, technology and data and analytics. And, and I have been in two organizations that are at the forefront of that. Mm -hmm. But I was told early on, hey, you need to develop like your soft skills, your leadership skills, your management skills, your coaching skills, your communication, wow. um, being able to take an idea and turn it into a system and, and implement it throughout an organization. So um, that's not only my personal growth, but that's something I would throw out there for any coach that's like going full speed ahead on learning about Blast or Repsoto or TrackMan or whatever it is. That's mm -hmm. great, but that's not the end. That's just a piece of information that this is not going to do anything for you unless you're working hard to figure out how to apply it, number one, and then how to like impart that knowledge on a much larger group. Dylan, same question we're thinking about just from a hitting coach perspective. And, and Jeff just laid out a, a great you know, growth plan, and I certainly can see that, especially from the communications end and leadership end. But where have you specifically, where do you see the most growth? When you look back at where you started to now, where, where do you see the most personal growth in that? Well, when I first started coaching, um, I was doing, a, I was trying to educate myself on a lot of these soft skills, right. on a lot of the leadership. So reading um, the score takes care of itself by, you know, about Bill Walsh, mm -hmm. uh, Good to Great, which is a, a business book by, I believe, Jim Collins. Um, shoot, what else? Um, there, there's, there's so man search for meaning and, and, um, I, there's 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 so many books that that I can't even list them all, but that's where I spent most of my time, probably the first five years. Okay, and um, and then obviously it was trying to acquire that knowledge and, and take some of those suggestions that I'm 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 learning about as I read and mm -hmm. as I'm talking to people, 
and then figuring out how to actually apply that. Um, you know, sometimes one of the most daunting things about, about a large convention um, is that there's just so much information. Right. When you go back to your your program, your your team, where do you start with implementing sure. it? Sure. And um, you mean you don't put all of it in play? Uh, I, I do not think that that is the best oh, option. Man. Um, and, and Jeff and I have talked about it a lot. Um, and it comes from this idea of trying to figure out what's essential mm-hmm. um, to, to the team that you're with, to the organization that you're with, that um, will get them going in the right direction at the right speed as quickly as possible. Sure. So um, maybe there's something that a coach is going to learn here at this year's convention in Dallas and they're going to be able to implement that immediately. But mm-hmm. then there's other ideas that maybe don't need to be implemented until later on. Um, when I was doing my reading and, and learning and asking all these questions and taking notes, trying to figure out what I could immediately implement in that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was a bit crazy. Like um, it got to the point where in, I, uh, I've had to do some work on my communication skills, sure. uh, because I can be, uh, very animated. I, I think maybe the best way to put it, passionate, uh, I like to call it pa- passionate. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, so I actually would, uh, and I don't know how many people actually know this, but a lot of people will now. Um, <laughs> I, I actually would, I bought myself, um, a small mic and I would mic myself up for practices. And then I would wow. go back and I would listen to myself, um, in, in my conversations. And first of all, I, I realized that I talk way too much, um, wow. especially when a player would approach me about an idea and they would open up the door for this great conversation. And then I would immediately jump in with my thoughts yep. before listening to them. Mm. And so, um, getting ready for some of these presentations, I like to go back and I read through, all my notebooks. And, and so there's, there's years, uh, of worth of notes and, um, and I, I go back and I kind of see where I've come from. And, uh, I was reading about, I kind of, I'd actually forgot about that, that I had done that, that I might myself up for, for, uh, a, a fall in college yeah and, um, was reading about those, reading through those notes and kind of seeing, it feels like it was a lifetime ago. Yeah, but uh, it wasn't that long ago, <laughs> and um, and and I've changed so much because of that. Though uh, it's just tracking it, taking these ideas, and kind of what Jeff is saying. Um, it's it's one thing to read, it's one thing to to learn a new idea, but then it's a, a whole different uh, beast to apply mm-hmm. what you've learned, what you've read, uh, that idea to track it, to see if it works, to see if it doesn't work, if you need to continue down that path because it was, it was going well, or if you need to change directions because it didn't, it didn't go as well as you had hoped, uh, which is totally fine. You just, you move on you give your best effort, uh, in that day with what you know. And, um, there's plenty of things that are going to be good. There's notes that I have from eight years ago that I, I still live by now. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other stuff, you know, uh, nothing that I learned from you at the Kentucky camps. That's all. Uh, I still I still use all of that. Um, <laughs> it was it was gold then. It's gold now. Yeah, Come on, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Gosh. Thumb to uh, thumb to thigh, ball mm-hmm. to sky. All of it. Uh, Good night. So, but being able to 
to track your learning, to see how, you know, you're applying, trying different techniques into applying these things. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there and especially with Twitter. Now there's a lot of information out there, but being able to decipher what works best for you and your system and your players, Mm -hmm. that's the real key finding what's essential. And, and it doesn't mean that you've got to implement every idea, but maybe you can, um, I guess, positively impact swing decisions or play discipline. I can get my guys to swing at more strikes. I can get my guys. We can use, you know, some basic training techniques to increase bat speed. So there we go. I swing at strikes more often and I do it with more bat speed. If that's all you have time with, and sometimes at the youth and high school levels that there is, right. We know that there's not enough time. There's probably enough, you know, I think in the NCAA, uh, there's enough time, that coaches can spend with the players for their players to be good, mm-hmm. but there's not enough time that they can spend with their players for the, for them to be great. So you need those, you know, um, internally motivated, intrinsically yeah. motivated uh, players. If you want to have this great organization, this great program. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a coach, you're just one person, but you can, you can provide a, a solid blueprint, especially if you keep your priorities in line. Uh, that can help guide those players. Wow. Okay. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to go back to one point that both you guys made is the development and the communication dynamic between you and your players. And whether you're getting mic'd up, what a fantastic idea to really get some. It's so funny when you hear yourself, then you start to remember that's how, that's what I was thinking. Or you can hear, uh, I wasn't even really waiting for him to finish his, I was waiting for me to, when was the next time I'm going to talk? You can kind of hear that dynamic and you go back, but I think more back to you guys, that reciprocity within any relationship is the really to truly listen and then truly communicate back with, with, with openness and, and trust and that being the backbone of a relationship. So, I mean, do you guys see, just especially in that communication space that you've come to, to truly, I guess, appreciate and understand uh, the other side of the fence as opposed to, man, I'm, I'm confident in who I am, both of you are, but I've got a lot to, to offer here. And let me try to just divulge all this out. Let me spill it out as opposed to, let me really hear where you're coming from. Let's have a conversation about where you're at. Do you both see yourself really growing in that particular space? We talk about this, I think, all the time. Yeah. Just, the, um, just mutual kind of coaches that are trying to get better. I mm-hmm. think professionally in the w- in the way that we were set up, like where Dylan's the affiliate coach and I'm the coordinator. I think if you're listening to Dylan, it's pretty obvious why my level of trust in him was so high. No doubt. Um, because you, like, I, listen, I'm not going to mic myself up and listen to myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't like, that would be a train wreck. Um, <laughs> but so just someone that's thinking about that and just, and, and uh, really pushing himself that much to get better, I think tells you about not just like, the the values but the willingness and the mindset to to push yourself forward as a coach Mm -hmm. and then that's when when you're the coach and you're doing that it's it's much you're setting a certain example for the player that's right like you're not just like teaching the same you know old thing that you were doing 10 years ago and expecting you're you're like you have a fixed mindset and you're yelling at the player to have a growth mindset like that players are going to see through that pretty quickly so um i think dylan um made it easy for me just because of, uh, you know, professionally, just because of the way he was going about his business. So, um, you know, he, he knew he had a good understanding of organizationally what was trying to happen. And you want that, but you also want coaches that are going to 
um, not necessarily just like paying or calling her by numbers. You want them to take the the program or system or philosophy, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, um, and not just implement it, but make it better. So I think that's um, that's what sets apart, you know, guys like uh, Dylan. There'll be there, there've been several more than I've been around, but um, you know, I'll, I'll keep using Dylan since we're on the podcast together, and I'm being nice to him. Yeah, so he's here in front of us. You better speak well. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. But so, you you know, you got this combo of like a guy trying to basically make the organizational program better, mm. um, like implement what we have or what we had and then trying to push it forward and make it better. So I think those are the type of situations where you not only earn trust and respect from your peers um, and your players in, in the organization, but you know, like that's how, that's how you earn respect from the people around you. That's it. Dylan, more in depth on, on what you brought up just a second ago and we'll, and we'll move on. But when you started to really move away from talk, talk, talk to more listen and listen more fully, did you also see the, the fulfillment on your end? I always find that, that when guys really dive into that, that servant aspect of, of really the other person, again, getting on the other side of the fence that fulfillment seems to rise. Did you, did you kind of catch that as well? I mean, you end up having a better relationship with the players. There's no doubt about it yeah. um, because they feel like they have more value in, in that relationship. And and that's ultimately what we're trying to get to. It's they need to be their, their best coach. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do my job well, then I'm eventually useless. Uh, maybe outside of a, a phone call or a text message here, or there. And, yep. Um, a pat on the back, that type of stuff. But um, it, just trying to allow them. It, it, I guess um, I always wanted, and I still always want to coach the players as if they're going to eventually be coaches themselves, whether it's mm-hmm. they're, they're coaching their son or daughter or they're in the big leagues. Um, so they need to have a deep understanding, allowing them to talk back and, and run through some of their ideas and tell you what they're thinking, what they're feeling and, right. and how things are going is, is huge for their understanding. And so, um, while it, maybe I can't, I chose not to speak, uh, you know, in this instance, if we're in the cage, let's just set up the scenario. I'm in a cage with the mm-hmm. player and he's wanted to tell me what's going on and I could provide some information for him. But if the timing's not right, then I can just, I can hold off. Mm -hmm. Ultimately we're going to, we're going to reach that point, um, that we're going to achieve the end goal. Um, there's no doubt about Mm -hmm. that, but if I was to go ahead and jump in and give my, uh, opinions and things like that, I could derail the whole thing. So being patient, allowing them to, uh, speak their mind, give, you know, give their opinions, I think um, it allows us to achieve that end goal more frequently. I love it. Um, everyone talks about, I'll jump in real quick on there. So when we talk about communication, it's just assume that we're talking about verbal communication, but just cross that one off the list. And what other tools do you have? Right. Um, is it being able to point out an external cue? Is it some type of data vis- visualization? Um, can you use video and video comparisons uh, to, to paint a picture uh, can you use observational learning either by a demonstration or another player? Can you create a team or group dynamic where the player interaction with themselves uh, replaces the coach speaking? Mm. So, uh, you know, if you take words and, and verbal explanations off the table, 
Um, how many other tools do you have and how sharp are those other communication tools that are available? Okay, let's let's jump on this point. And Dylan, about three years ago, you break into professional baseball. So go back to that that place and certainly where you're now being as a hitting coordinator for the Yankees. When you're looking at your the viewpoint of hitting just inside of Major League Baseball and how much that shifted, even in, within your three years. And we're going to get to Jeff and his his 10-year going on 11-year perspective. But just from your use set, when you're thinking about those three years, how much has it shifted? Again, we're talking about the influx of new language, new analytics, new technologies, but take us into that. Take us into then, take us into now. Jeff's going to be able to provide a better perspective on this with the simple fact that he's been in it longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has changed dramatically over the, the last three years, at least um, with, you know, from my perspective, I was kind of blind to it, uh, for parts of it, just, uh, and I'll explain it, it inside the Astros organization. You had Jeff leading the minor league, uh, hitting coaches as the coordinator. And then he was able to hire and, and surround each hitting coach with uh, a better hitting coach. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there was, it, it was a well-oiled machine at that time, and it's. I'm really excited with the Yankees because uh, having spent uh, a handful of weeks uh, with those coaches and players already, I know that we're going to be able to do some really, really great things there. That's awesome. And so, um, and not to say they're already doing great. Look at all the minor yeah. league players that are already in the big leagues with them. So uh, it's it's going to be a really cool opportunity there, and it's it's just changed. It's um. The players uh, have have driven that in what they want and in, in the, mm. the information that's out there that can be given to them. Yeah, they they want someone to come in and translate that and to give them that, because ultimately, as a coach, we're trying to help the player. We're trying to sure. we're doing whatever we can for that player. We're trying to help him perform at his highest. And so, uh, if it's using the technology or using the numbers, or if it is um, so, you know, doing, yeah, like now it's an old school technique to simply look at video and dissect video. That's right. old school now. Um, using, using all of that to, to better the player. That's, that's all we're trying to do. And so I think that has been, uh, the goal for a long, 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 long time, way before I even got into coaching, the coaches were trying to help the players, um, be better. We just have now, we just have more tools in our kit to do it with. And so, uh, sometimes that can speed up the process, at least if you're, you're using that information, uh, properly. Right. And so maybe the end goal with wanting to make the players better, that hasn't changed, but our ability to define certain things deeper, to understand things, uh, on another level and then explain it in a, in a way that might capture the player a little bit, uh, sooner and ultimately have a greater effect maybe that's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jeff, as the elder statesman on the call, uh, with with uh, more perspective than both of us combined, uh, same question when you're thinking about how much that just the view of hitting has shifted in Major League Baseball, the way you've seen it from 08 to now walking into 11 seasons. Um, break that down for us. Open that up. Yeah, it's weird to be called elder statesman. <laughs> statesman. I just fin- I finished my 11th year. I'm going yep. to my 12th year. Um, and only one year in the big league. So I, I feel like still a beginner. Sure. I don't know. I feel like I could make an argument that there hasn't been a lot that's changed. I think the thing that probably has changed the way I would say it is, um, the speed of, of what is 
like the pace of what's happening because mm. when you're starting to measure in a more granular way what's happening on the field, um, you, you can pick out more things for the player, whether that's you can evaluate more details on the player, whether it's a strike zone thing or whether it's a, a batted ball velocity thing or you know, the, the trajectory of the ball, I'm going to try to avoid launch angle term. Here you tried. Avoid any arguments. Yep. Um, so I think you, once you have more things that are happening on the field or measurements and what's happening on the field, you get more questions about how to influence those things as, as coaches. And so I think, um, you know, one thing I would say on that is I think a lot of times, um, it, you know, in the past, it's, it's really hard to evaluate the influence of a, of a hitting coach and you just do it based on does a player like you or not or things like that. But now mm. um, that more things are measurable, I think um, my reaction is similar to a lot of people. You might get a little bit defensive at the beginning, but I think when I start to realize that uh, the more things become measurable, that's really an opportunity for a coach. It's kind of like showing your work on a math test. Accountability. Like it, it's not, yeah, it's not just good enough to have the right answer there. Yeah. Uh, the teacher is going to ask you to show you your work to have an idea of how, it, what's the reasoning behind the conclusion you came to. No doubt. And you don't really always have to be right. Um, you're not in baseball. You're not all, you're never going to be a hundred percent right. But if you can just kind of show your logic on a consistent basis, maybe you have a, uh, a better chance of improving your percentages to, um, you know, improve player development and, and outcomes on the field. So I think really, um, the things that are changing with everything that's measurable, stats, stat cast, track man, whatever on the field, um, that changes some things. There's some more accountability for coaches. But really, I think if you look at that, um, depending on how you frame it, that's a real opportunity for a coach to kind of show um, what you can do. Um, and, um, you know, like I, I think what hasn't changed is uh, track man and and batter ball information i mean that stuff's been around since like 2005 2007 even mm -hmm. you can find batter ball data in, in 2007 on uh, on fan graphs and so now it's just becoming much more visible and much more public social media all that kind of stuff but yeah. that doesn't mean if you're hearing about it for the first time on like social media or at a convention or something like that it's probably been around for five ten years or something and people have been working on that it's just less visible in professional baseball because there's le less people that are in professional baseball talking publicly about it because you have to win with your team. Like no the doubt. level of competition inside major league baseball is so insanely high. Um, and so that's where I feel like I've ever had a really good um, situation, not, not just like being able to read um, whether it's new research or new technology that's coming out and being able to read about that, but being around people that are actually doing that research themselves and not, and, and being pushed to figure out ways to, um, implement things in a way that makes a real uh, change in player development. So, hmm. um, using video and technology and all those things, there've been coaches for a long time that have been doing that. Like, I've been around Brent Strom my whole career. There's been hitting guys like that. I've been around like John Maley and Ralph Dickinson and Dan Radisson. There's a bunch of guys that have been doing, and that's just in my 12, uh, 11 years. And there's guys before them that are, were, were kind of leading the way too. So guys in professional baseball have been doing this for a long time. And so, you know, I see a lot of comments sometimes where, oh, professional baseball is slow to move and this, that. And usually those criticisms are coming from people outside of professional baseball. Right. Because when you get in the door and you are working inside of an organization, that is much different than being, you know, uh, working with players in the offseason and working mm -hmm. with players one-on-one -on -one or just working with one team or a smaller team. There are certain challenges in professional baseball 
that um, that make moving a large group uh, difficult. And um, while that is, I believe that to be true, that's also where a lot of the opportunity is. So now, um, with the the measurement and things becoming more visible, the uh, the importance on like not just application, but like the speed mm-hmm. or kind of like cutting down the lag time from idea to on field performance. I feel like there's a much higher premium there. Well, when you talk about that speed, the and you go back to the the San Diego convention, and those was my first time, and those I mean the amount that I learned there, uh, the first two years that I was coaching as a GA, the the amount that I learned, that the speed that I was learning, all these new things, and then having to apply these things, maybe even before I even had the skill to properly apply these things, but it was just what, what was, you know, the, the situation called for it. Um, at no point in time, you know, I think we look back and uh, reflect on our career and we 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 love those first couple years because of the speed and and how yeah. quickly you were changing and how much you were learning and as a person every single moment in professional baseball has replicated that moment that you and ultimately i i have become addicted to that yeah and it's a big reason why i wanted to come back into professional baseball from college is the amount of information the speed that everything goes um the, the working with the best in the world. Sure. Um, that stuff is totally addicting. And I, I, I couldn't agree with Jeff more about mm. just the speed and how, how uh, big of a deal that is. Well, let it be known to both of you guys that uh, in second grade, I did a book report on nonlinear pedagogy. So that, that's where I was uh, at nice. seven, eight years old. Um, so I'm just nice. glad to see you guys catching up with me. Um, awesome. now, I'm going to say this to I'm two impre- hitting. Yes, as you should be. And so is Sean Larkin when I told him that too. Um, when I'm thinking about uh, asking this question to two hitting coaches, th- this, is, this could get a little dicey, but hopefully you see it maybe from the perspective I have, or you can educate me on this perspective in that, you know, we talk and even we had Tim Corbin on last episode and he was talking about the things that DJ was doing when they first got Vandy rolling. Uh, and, and when he looks at that on the grand scale of how much, Pitching was maybe a little bit ahead of hitters in terms of adjustments, in terms of training, in terms of uh, thinking differently, and, and maybe hitters were just behind that. Um, Dylan, start us off on that. Do you see it that way? Uh, do you see that the pitching is just a little bit ahead of hitters and now we're starting to gain ground? Uh, how would you approach that? And I'm sorry if I if I've made you uh, cringe. No. Um, I mean, I, I know that I've said it before that, that pitchers are ahead. Um I don't know how much I believe it anymore necessarily, but um, I have said that before. And the the whole reason that I've said that before is just simply with, I was upset on the recruiting trails, Mm -hmm. going out, uh, watching hours and hours of games under, you know, the summer heat and trying to talk about new ideas with hitting. And there were none. Mm -hmm. And you see all these pitching coaches um, going out and they're sharing different ideas and they're getting super creative and they're, they're approaching their job as if, um, you know, the knowledge and in, in, in what they know about it is just totally incomplete, yeah. but it wasn't that way on the hitting side, at least in a, in a general sense, you could find, you know, guys here or there, mm-hmm. Not, but it wasn't necessarily the way, at least I feel that it is now. The amount of information and in, in some of the stuff has, has helped us catch up, but uh, one of the things I was talking about here recently was um, with pitchers throwing harder, mm-hmm. uh, being more deceptive. Um, they're not going to move the mound back. 
Right. You know, you, you've only got a certain amount of space. So I pray for it every it, night, but right. Exactly. <laughs> but they're just, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And then pitchers, at least at this point, as far as we know, are just going to continue to throw harder with sharper stuff and right. becoming more deceptive. So if we aren't raising our standards for what actually good is, and, and I, and I did say this, that I don't want to rest on what the major league averages are. Like I know that mm-hmm. the major league average, uh, those guys are beasts. Like mm-hmm. th- those guys are super, super special. But what if we could bump those numbers up just a little bit sure. each and every year in, in, in finding different ways to train more effectively or to perform more effectively? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's exciting. That's it, Ultimately, that's what pushes me to try and experiment as a coach and um, see what works, see what doesn't work, and, and try to not only catch up to the pitchers, but surpass them and, and make it honestly uncompetitive. I love it. I love it. I love it. Jeff, same question. How do you see it? How, how did you see that dynamic? And is it true? Or can you drop some knowledge on us on that? I mean, I, I feel like I've learned a lot from watching pitching and pitching development grow over the years. I remember okay. meeting Derek Johnson in person in Atlanta at like high school coaches convention in like 2003 or 2004. Mm. Uh, and, you know, he was talking about like how the body moves and loads and stuff like that. And, and I was learning from a couple areas that the same place that he was learning from and and just listening to him to talk about how he was applying that information, which started to shape my ideas about how I wanted to apply it for hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, you know, you can use that as a hitting coach to your advantage, whether you learn that from pitching or track and field or golf or whatever other area you can. Um, the ability to lateralize there is very valuable. And I think in the pitching world, there's been some important things, right? Like, so arm injuries, Tommy John, things like that, keeping players in the field brings a lot more attention to mechanics, biomechanics. And you see that developing, like, how do we keep players healthy, um, which a byproduct turns into, like, velocity development, things like that. Like, a generation of players grows up watching the radar gun on on TV and ESPN and Fox and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of like the four-minute mile. Like, you see one guy yep. run the four-minute mile, and then it becomes possible. So you start seeing guys throw 95. You start seeing guys throw 100. And then you grow up kind of chasing those numbers. And then, you know, TrackMan comes into the game and... Uh, I think a lot of the uh, original information be, is a lot more quickly actionable for pitchers. So there's definitely a bunch mm. of advantages there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on is that good or bad for hitting, but you see very, very quickly like average velocity in the major leagues going up uh, from whatever it is, 88 or 89, 15 years ago to 93, 94 and 95 yep. in the playoffs like it is now. So that's like in a 15 year period. You know, in one generation of players, that's like the mound moving up five feet. It's unbelievable. That's a that's a big deal. And so, not only are guys throwing harder, they throw uh, more off-speed pitches. So mm-hmm. appreciate it, guys. <laughs> right? Like you're throwing harder than ever, and then you're just gonna throw sliders and curveballs and breaking balls all day. Be- and and you have a report on how to do it and how to execute it and whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of that information has been um, kind of advantageous to the pitcher, but it's taken all, all those things to push the hitting world collectively into this area of like, hey, uh, batting average is going down, contact is going down, like all these, you know, hitting performance things are like going down. And they can be offset a little bit by the type of contact that's made. So say it's a home run. And so so maybe you have some things like uh, some skill things like contact rate that's going down and it's getting offset by guys 
um, realizing that hitting a ground ball might not be as advantageous as to not hitting a ground ball. Um, but that still doesn't get to the point of like, how do you improve skills with the hitters? So right. um, it's a good thing for the competition of just the game in general for the pitching development to go up. That's going to force the issue for developing hitters as we move forward. And that's usually the way it is in the game too, right? The pitcher has the ball and then he's going to kind of dictate the action. And I don't want to call it hitting um, reactionary, reactionary, what do you want to call it? Reactionary, anticipatory, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The pitcher's the one that starts with the ball. And, um, you know, if this means that the pitchers are the ones that made, you know, some significant strides with development first, um, then hitters are usually pretty good at adjusting to those things. So that's it. We'll see what happens. Well, and and if you guys are, know both of you are paying attention, we're catching up. So um, obviously I know you guys have a huge uh, hand with that, uh, with your teams. Now, Jeff, I'm going to come back to you on this one because you mentioned uh, movements and you mentioned DJ breaking down uh, movements that were, he felt integral to the pitching delivery in terms of maximizing efficiency and, and uh, obviously the velocity jumps that come with that. Man, body movements, that that's like, I mean, that you might as well be talking culture on Twitter. Those are just two buzzwords that everybody's talking about. But from the hitting perspective, um, educate us a little bit, Jeff. What do you see as maybe the the critical body movements or or, or uh, uh, postures or uh, anything that's relative to that that discussion? What would you offer us? Uh, I would just point your attention to the middle of the body and in you mean the core, like, uh, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I would just point your attention to the middle of the body mm-hmm. and the area of the hips and how they load and how they move to, to basically control the load, set up hitting positions, set up a swing path, and all those different things. So I kind of see the swing much more from the middle moving out, um, but I think a lot of the attention goes to maybe the feet or the bat or the hands because yeah. those are um, the things that are maybe more uh, visible. Um, but I feel like if you're uh, going off of some of the more objective information, whether you want to talk about kinetic chain or whatever, um, then I would point you in the direction of moving uh, proximal, so center of the body, to distal uh, extremity, so hands, bat, feet, and just kind of point you in that direction. Okay. Dylan, you see any differently? Jeff's taught me most of what I know. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> ditto? Um, Was that a ditto response? So, yeah, hey, you, uh, can, you can disagree publicly <laughs> if you want. I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, I think this is kind of what I was saying earlier, though, um, where the technology has allowed us to maybe better define some of these things. So sure. you get a good pitch. My little league coach taught me that. Like, OK, I, we just now know what those good pitches are and we can tell for that specific hitter um, and we can provide, you know, actual feedback on that. And did you do that? Did you did you get a good pitch to hit, or did you offer it something you know that wasn't in your wheelhouse? Um, we know what you know. We can define or or at least see when we're staying behind the ball. So stay behind the ball. Like that's an old school cue, but now yeah. we can just define it better. Um, get inside the ball or stay inside. They, right. So now we know when that's most important. Or uh, versus you know some of the things you know pulling your hands inside the ball maybe not. Mm-hmm going to be your best route um so being able to to use some of these honestly core um hitting pieces that that have been taught my entire lifetime we can just now do that um maybe just a little bit more accurately or at least defined a little bit more deeply okay love it um i am interested in the in the training environment 
that again, both of you walking into new places, um, and Jeff certainly having your hand directly on top of what's happening at the major league level, and Dylan kind of uh, puppet master from up above what's going to trickle down to the major league level and the, all the other affiliates. When you're thinking about training environment, and again, this is maybe not relative to standard everyday uh, major league batting practice, which we we all have a pretty good idea what that looks like, but um, training environment, you've seen a lot more machine work. I think that's been something that's been different uh, in major league baseball, bringing those out onto the field. Again, not just relative to last year, but I think in the last few years, that that's become something that's been more apparent. Um, but Dylan, when you're thinking about the training environment you want to create, what's kind of the model? What's kind of the the, the motives or mission behind maybe a, a more challenging training environment? And how are you doing that? I mean, I would start out with defining what I believe is most important. And so, um, you know, in my, my history, it's been a lot of focus on pitch recognition and play discipline. No so, doubt. okay, those would be the two umbrellas. And then Figuring, figuring out how to practice pitch recognition um, is the best way that you know how and figuring out how to practice, play discipline, swing and strikes, take balls, the mm-hmm. best way you know how. Um, so now adding some velocity in some of the pitching machines and things like that to challenge some of those, those decisions, mm-hmm. um, that makes your training better. Uh, typically more effective now you you do have to worry about it and and, um you know the skill level of that player and Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to just blow everybody up you you want them to you need to operate around uh their specific threshold and and build off of that but in a general sense um trying to make it you know you're you're identifying what's these what the best hitters in the world do Mm -hmm. or at least uh what they're able to do um, and trying to then develop training systems for those priorities. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, for the swing mechanics, if you, if you've got stuff, uh, that you identify, you know, you, you've got a guy out there that does want to highlight the hands and, and not look at the middle of the body, like Jeff's talking about, hmm. well, at least have uh, a step-by-step progression, things like that, yeah. that you can work through. And so that's, you know, uh, Jeff kind of alluded to it before and, uh, how, how can you have 10 teams uh, in 10 different locations? Um, you know, basically building the same version of the hitters. Well, yeah. you, you would have these, these skill progressions that you would run your guys through. And so whatever you find to be your priorities, okay go ahead and list out that progression and then if somebody needs can can start on step seven then that's great then they go seven through 12 yeah but if somebody needs to start on step one you you have training for that player as well and i know like at the youth level and the high school levels you're going to have a a, a great variety of skills Mm -hmm. uh, or or skill levels and so um you know you don't want to just throw the guy you know, get the guy out of there when he he's at level one on on hitting, but he's at level nine or ten on defense. Right. Well, we can we can work through some of that stuff if we uh, have identified the essential uh, pieces of of hitting and um, and then develop training systems for each of those. Wow, that's great. Okay, and Jeff, when you're looking at the same look as what you're trying to build with your training environment, and you're really trying to now with these major league guys, you know, maybe vary up some different things, where it's extra work that you're really tweaking or, or, or turning again in, in under the belief system that you are going to bring to the Cardinals. Um, how are you going to create that? How are you going to make it more challenging for those guys? Where are the come the step action items inside of that for you? I mean, I think uh, just in general, from a practice point of view, like 
you just want to look at some basic things like the specificity and intensity of the game mm-hmm. and then we're and then work backwards from there so whether that's setting up the pitching machine or setting up batting practice and, re- and reaction times and things like that that are just in a way that get you closer towards the speed and intensity level of the game um and then it's not like doing something at a lower speed, whether you hit off the tee or soft toss or do whatever. It's not like that's bad. Mm-hmm. But I think that just has to have a certain purpose to identify, um, you know, an intrinsic feel for the movement that the player is trying to identify. So that player, when they do go into full speed, they're not trying to find that movement there. Yep. They've already kind of found it and they can kind of um, uh, feed forward process, I believe. Like, so you are already aware of it before it happens, and you're telling your your brain's telling your body to do it. Uh, you're not trying to figure it out against a 95 mile hour fastball machine. You already know what feeling it is. Mm-hmm. So when it happens or it doesn't happen, you kind of like um, just kind of identify the feeling that you wanted, and your brain keeps just telling you to do that good one that you want. So uh, you know, Dylan used I think the right phrase, just like having a progression. And I just think of it like working backwards from the game um, towards even just the, the weight room or the training room. So in the physical therapy world um, or the strength and conditioning world, you would have, uh, you know, if you're teaching someone to squat or do, you know, cleans and snatches from the floor, you'd have mm-hmm. a certain progression of doing that um, to work from maybe something like a PVC or something lightweight to get the movement down all the way up and breaking the movement down into different positions. So like high hang clean, hang clean from the knees and and clean from the floor. So mm-hmm. you have a, a light way to get the feel and then you have a progression to hit some different positions to help the person identify the intrinsic feel and what that position looks like. And then eventually you might start adding weight and doing some things at a higher intensity. So I think you, uh, a lot of those ideas for me come from the strength and conditioning world, which mm-hmm. is a big part of my background. And using that idea of having not only a progression um, from beginner to expert, but a regression from expert to beginner. And if you have that, you can kind of move along the different levels or you're going to help identify the skill level of the player, even on your own team. So your own college team, you're going to have one guy that's your best hitter and one guy that isn't. And so you might have the same fundamentals of what the squat looks like. But they might be in a different part of the progression or, you know, you're not going to just take your kid and throw them in the deep end of the pool. You're Mm -hmm. probably going to do some stuff and and have a a teaching progression for how to swim. So uh, I think you can take that same idea and apply it um, to your practice program. And I think the other big part of it is just uh, I know for me, it's it's dangerous for me to get too caught up in my idea of what that looks like and not consider enough what the player is communicating what's his mental representation of what needs to happen what are the words in the communication what he's saying and what's the background information that he's coming to the table because um this is the same you could have the best practice plan you could have the best workout program you could have the best diet nutrition program Mm -hmm. but if it doesn't make sense or show value or you need something that that's going to um allow for adherence of the player a great program doesn't matter if the player won't do it and so, you know, there's got to be a certain interaction there to, um, depending on your level, you know, sometimes at, your, at the lower level, you can, maybe you can just tell guys, hey, this is the way we're doing it. When you get up to the higher levels, it definitely does not work that way. <laughs> no doubt. Which I, which is cool. I, I mean, I learned so much from our, you know, from the major league players and the players as they go up through the organization. So that's one thing I saw in the coordinator role. You might see a player as he comes in from the draft 
and then progress all the way to the major leagues. And you're talking about the same fundamental concept, but you, you see the growth of the player and that changes the, yeah. the conversation. It's, it's less one way and it's more two ways. You see the player grow and mature. So that's, um, that's pretty cool. And the last thing I, that, that I was thinking about when Dylan was just talking about the, the difficulty of practice in most cases, I think baseball hitting, especially, uh, misses a little bit on the side of lower intensity. So higher volume, lower intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a book called rise of Superman where the author talked about, so this goes to like the deliberate practice and, um, you know, talent code and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But so I, I, which is making practice difficult and, and relevant and things like that. But the author in rise of Superman put a number on it. He said that like the sweet spot is like a 4% more difficult. And I don't know what 4% more difficult like looks like hmm. um, necessarily. Maybe you could do it. So maybe your hitter is comfortable hitting against the machine at, you know, 80 miles an hour. And so you could make it 4% faster and progress it that way. That's fine. But I, I like that just the idea, even if you're not measuring 4% of the time, because you want to make it difficult, but you want to make it appropriate for the player. You can't just crush them. Yeah. Um, you have to make it where, so just to have that, having that image of the player, like reaching out for a skill that's just very slightly out of the reach. Maybe they can get like a fingertip on it, but they can't quite grasp it in their entire hands. And I think if you, if you have a, an idea of what you want to do and you have a, an idea of what the progression looks like, then you can appropriately assign different levels or intensity of practice sure. that's appropriate for that, like 4% more difficult idea. Man. Okay. All right. Now you got me, I'm going to be thinking about things well after this podcast is over. I, I appreciate that's, this. That's in there with your non-linear uh, pedagogy. It, it, it's right in, in, in path. I'll probably do a book report on that one as well. Um, <laughs> Jeff, let me come right back to you and I, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here. I think on behalf of our listeners, uh, when you think about practice design, you think about the use of machines, uh, maybe variances that we could bring to batting practice and gosh, technology, this sounds like such a broad question, but um, maybe just some examples, nothing specific in terms of players, but but more into um, how you've adjusted practice and how you've been able, uh, the details of using machines or varying up batting practice that I think a coach can scribble some notes down and go, yeah, we could do that. Or that's a great idea uh, that he offered or using technology. What would you offer on that one? So very, uh, the idea of variance, I think is a good idea from the motor learning world, but mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful with that because they there's a very specific, you're not going out there to, to do like a decathlon, right? You don't have 10 different events. Mm-hmm. You have one thing that's happening, like you're facing a pitcher. So there are certain constants, right? He's like 60 feet, six inches away. Um, you know, so the, the variance might be small, like the release point might be a couple inches higher mm-hmm. or further left or right or things like that. Um, so there is variance, but there's also some structure. So I like having that. I like having um, a certain structure that's going to kind of check off the big boxes and then providing for, um, you know, again, stealing from the strength and conditioning world, accessory work or variability, if you will. So okay. we have this group in the, in the, in the gym and, you know, we believe that, you know, squats or deadlifts or just pick one main lift. Like this is the biggest bang for our buck, lower half exercise. And we're mm-hmm. going to kind of do this as a group because that's what we found to be the most effective. And then, um, Dylan might need this accessory exercise. Um, you might have to do glute ham raises like we did this morning and you might have to do something that's more like, um, you know, single leg squats or like something like that. So you have some general principles that, uh, 
I think that I forgot where this came from, but the, the concept that stuck with me, this idea of like universal validity, these general concepts apply over a, a broad range, and then you can individualize from there. Because if you're just always going for variance and individuality, like you, you it's easy to miss on the general fundamental things that are going to yeah. be there um, regardless. So, you know, I feel like there are some um, general things that kind of need to be happening uh, in, a, in a group setting. Uh, and you can and try to try to tackle those. Like here's the average fastball is 93. So, you know, we want to be ready for that. And then maybe this person needs to maybe work on breaking balls more, or this person needs to work on fastballs or fastballs up in the zone more, yeah. or this guy particularly needs to work against a left-handed angle. And so I want to be able to account for all of those things in practice design. That's it. Well, two things jump off to me. Number one is I'm glad you saw that deficiency in Dylan's glutes because I was going to recommend that um, for you guys in your next training <laughs> session. Uh, just something I saw on him the last time we were together. And then number two, when you think about um, – uh, you mentioned kind of maybe grouping specific players. Now I'm thinking more of the the youth or the high school or the college coach looking at batting practice and saying, you know, I've got guys, this group of guys, this 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 four to five guys that are struggling with breaking balls. Uh, so I'm going to, again, maybe I have to, I've got the BP guy arm for the group before them because they all just need to get on fastball velo. But then the next group will bring the machine out and set up a breaking ball to create those variances. That's been something that's been offered throughout our show just to, Re, redesign the look of BP as opposed to all hitters are going to walk through these four rounds and making them more specific if we can, uh, not on an individual basis, but trying to loop players together uh, so you have that opportunity. Dylan, when you're looking at that in terms of practice design or use of machines or variances, do, you can't grow ditto on this one. I won't let you drop a ditto. Uh, so give me something specific. Again, how are you changing that up for guys? Or, or, or again, what's been your experience with that? kind of trying to address this from the youth coach or high school coach perspective yeah. or, or even a lot of the colleges where we you, we have a, a small staff, a, a small amount of coaches, small amount of uh, help that can put together the practice or help carry it out. Mm -hmm. um, this is where labeling what you believe is most important, what you want to train yeah. the most is, is, I mean, it's imperative because you can't spend – you know, the, the, you only have, you have an hour and a half to practice. So you're not going to spend three minutes doing 70 different things, right? It's going to be more productive. Uh, if you can spend larger chunks of time on just being good at a couple th instead of being the jack of all trades, let's mm -hmm. be the master. And, um, and so if you're picking out play discipline and swing mechanics, then, uh, that's going to be our, pri that's, those are going to be your priorities. You're going to have certain things that you're going to always go to. Um, you're going to set up, right? Like, so if, um, you know, swing decisions and the, the play discipline, then the way that you set up your BP is going to be really, really important. Yeah. And so um, asking guys to make decisions instead of putting them on cruise control and BP, yep. uh, maybe you throw a ball every once in a while, uh, get them off of cruise control to actually make a decision. And in the end, this is, I think, what's hardest about um, – or not, maybe not the hardest, but uh, a big issue or a big uh, problem that hitting coaches have to address is the fact that rarely are we ever practicing the end uh, event. Hmm. You know, we, we don't have a whole lot of pitchers that are just going to sit there and throw live pitches to us, especially at the lower levels. You only have some, you know, sometimes your, your best pitcher is also your best hitter. Sure so stop. exactly. Hmm. And so, um, 
everything is being trained uh, as a part task event. Mm -hmm. And we want to then, uh, I guess our, our goal is to practice a bunch of little pieces and then, Hey, the game's starting. Hopefully it works, right? It's, um, you know, you have, you have all the ingredients to, to make the chocolate chip cookie, but right. If you, if you use too many chocolate chips, it's going to be fudge. It's, it's not a chocolate chip cookie anymore. Uh, that's to be debated, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say it wasn't going to be tasty, <laughs> but, but right. Like you, you have to have that's the a great right point. recipe. You yeah. have to have the right recipe. Yeah. And when you, in the hard part about being a hitting coach is you, you don't know necessarily what the right recipe is until you try it out in the game, until you have that, that game result providing you that feedback. So that way you can go, Hey, this did work or this didn't work. And then I need to alter my training environment from there. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's as a, as a coach with limited resources, stick to what you feel like is most important. Maybe you're not going to cover everything, mm-hmm. but hit the big pieces, just be a master of those and then send your guys out onto the field with confidence. I love it. So let me come back to you on routines. And again, that's just something that's so entrenched in, in baseball and baseball people. I've got a routine for the podcast that I brought over superstitiously from my baseball days that I got to touch this doorknob six times, whatever it might be, before I can record a show and it'll be audio gold. But, um, you know, routines that, that I think individuals have um, that you've seen and I think that work. And so maybe if we're thinking about a, a youth coach or a high school or college coach and they have this general template based on your all's experiences and what you've seen great hitters do. And that's, again, success leaving clues for us. What would you what, what would you offer those guys? What, what what should they be paying attention to their players and their routines? At that level, um, I believe that you should redefine what routine means to you. Okay. Um, I think all too often people are looking for comfort um, out of the routine when at that level, at most levels, mm-hmm. maybe at I would, at all levels, you're trying to get better. Yep. And so if you can develop a routine that accomplishes Mm. both of those, I think that is the, the best of both worlds. So something that, uh, sets you up for success, you do feel comfortable, you are building confidence, but it is challenging your current skill set. So that way you can eventually leave that session with, uh, a greater depth of skills. Oh, that's I love that. That's such a great point, Jeff. What would you add to that? Again, we're looking at those routines. What's kind of the template? What's the mindset? What's the what's the behavior out of that that you think uh, your coaches could take down to lower levels? Uh, so uh, Kelly Charette is a physical therapist, strength conditioning coach. Um, he talks a lot about general movement competency. Mm-hmm. So that's something I usually have in mind, say at the beginning of a uh, of, of a routine, whether it's for your individual player or for your group. And um, another thing to go along those lines was this image from uh, Daniel Coyle. I'm pretty sure it was in Talent Code, where if you imagine yourself skiing at the top of the mountain and you're the first one down and you just see in front of you fresh snow, um, you want that general movement competency or that first set of like tracks that you put in the snow to kind of that's going to kind of be like the track that you're most likely to follow for the rest of the day. So for me, I want I I don't want to waste that, whether it's a prep time or warm up or the first things like you're not just taking those first swings to get loose. Like those things count, those things matter. So you got to set your tracks clearly in the snow because now when you try to go down that mountain fast, 
you those are the right tracks to try to go down no and of course it's going to get messy right like you're going to go off track you're going to fall you're going to hit a bump you're going to swerve off the up the mountain maybe a couple times if it's if it's too hard um and so you want to be able to do that you want to be able to set your set your tracks you want to be able to practice something difficult something hard um variability is good i was, I was talking before i wasn't trying to uh, say variability is bad you want to bake that in there and that's your time to do it but then you also i think want to be able to come back and like reset that track or whatever it is or that um that important general competency uh that you want to go down so it, just in a general sense like you might have a player that has uh, a different drill or two that what he's doing but i look at it like you want to figure out um and try to set a good feeling um, of what that pattern is, then you want to really challenge it in, in, um, in one way that's progressive over time and in an, another way that provides a little bit of variability. And then you want to basically like sandwich that up with uh, returning to that basically like clear track in the snow mm-hmm. that, hey, this is, this is my swing, this is my strength, this is like when in doubt, this is my bread and butter in the game. So um, mm. I think that's I, that's an important point for me because you hear so much stuff about whether it's oh traditional batting practice or this that's a waste of time. It's only a waste of time if you let it be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. If you if you designate a certain purpose to it and you bake it into your certain practice design, there might be a certain drill that the player just makes them feel good or whatever it is, yeah. and that's not a waste. Of, that's not a waste of time if you use it um, as part of your uh, overall design that's it um can i come right back to you jeff and i'm thinking about just uh best advice if, if, if you had the opportunity and you do through this show again we get to man tens of thousands of guys that pay attention to this which is which is awesome for us to have that platform but then it gives you a chance and you'll give dylan a chance here in a second to speak directly to those guys who are youth high school travel coaches academy coaches college coaches uh, if you had to speak to them what's the best advice you would offer them uh, at purely from a hitting coach perspective, again, looking back, your experience, your perspective, your viewpoint, what's the advice you would give those guys? The biggest, like, this is what some of the best advice I got when I was starting graduate school. The director of our program, Dr. Lainey Dornier, like the, one of the first meetings she had with us, she said, okay, you're going to study biomechanics and motor learning and sports psychology and exercise physiology and all these different things as part of the program. You're going to study specific things. Mm-hmm. But in the big picture, when you walk out of here, this graduate program in exercise science from Louisiana Tech, you need to have become a better consumer of information. Uh, so that's being able to take information in from all kinds of different places, the ABCA convention, the ABCA podcast, um, reading a textbook, reading a, a, a nonfiction book, the experience that you have on the field, uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, those are all mm-hmm. inputs of information. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're all good pieces of information. So you need to, uh, I think, like that's the idea of becoming a good consumer of information. You're not just like accepting every idea. You're open-minded, mm-hmm. um, but like when you're when you're learning and you're reading, uh, you're building up like this background information or like a filter strength of being a bigger, stronger filter, if you will, Mm -hmm. to pass all these ideas through and determine which one of these ideas you really want to go after and pursue and which one of these things can you apply and ultimately which one of these pieces of information is going to help you score more runs in the game and and win games and do all that type of thing. So in the the biggest, uh, in the big picture sense, becoming a better consumer of information is like some of the best 
overreaching advice that I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. And then more specifically to hitting coaches, I think you have to do stuff. Like it's not a good enough to just get that idea or think it's a good idea. You have to try to come up with a plan to implement that with your players mm -hmm. and just see what happens. I think one of the things that I was fortunate with is that I had people around me from the front office, hitting coordinators, the guys, you know, like I, I mentioned, Dan Radisson, Ralph Dickinson before, uh, John Maley, Dave Hudgens, guys like that, that were the big league coaches that basically like really pushed me to be aggressive. Like, hey, you're going to be wrong. You're going to make some mistakes. You need to be wrong. You need to be making mistakes. If you're never making mistakes, you're not pushing enough. You're not trying hard enough. Sure. Um, you're not moving fast enough. And so I think those uh, those guys, among others, Brent Strom, and there's a bunch of guys, like really opened me the open the door for me to just try out ideas and try to implement them. Um, and and the last thing about that was basically the way it was described to me early on was, yeah, you know, you can have an opinion, you can try something out, but but the cost of that opinion or the cost of that idea is facts. Like you need to be able to back that up with. A, an objective reason. So if you do something and it works, or if you do something and it fails miserably, which has happened before, like you have to be able to determine this is what I did and this is why this thing worked. So I can hopefully repeat that in the future, yep. or this is what I did that didn't work. So this is something that I can eliminate. And now you're not just, uh, me and Dylan talked about this earlier today, like you're not just experimenting, um, going down this kind of rabbit's hole to nowhere, a dead-end experimentation. You're experimenting with this idea. Not I don't even like the word experimenting. You're, you're like attempting to apply the information that you're bringing in in a way that's helping you determine what works and what doesn't. Sure. And hopefully as you do that over time, you have this pool of things that work, which is probably going to be much smaller than your pool of things that um, you know, didn't work. So yeah. I think you got to be a good consumer of information. And then you got to like use the objective info to just try to apply things in a new way and, you know, pay attention to what works and what doesn't. One time it's not good to go second, Dylan. What do you want me to add to that? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, see if there's any, you got any more nuggets in your pocket, drop them on them. No, listen, before he went off on the points two and three, <laughs> what I was going to say and what I'm going to say now still is, um, going back through the notebooks and then having all these conversations with, with Jeff and other, other hitting coaches, whether it's within the, the Yankees organization or within the, the Astros, mm -hmm. uh, back, you know, back with, uh, the staff that's now at Missouri, looking at the notes that I have, there are a lot of things that I liked when, and I wrote down when I read them. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, I've got the title of this article or this quote that I, that I read from somebody, and then basically, so there's my piece of information. Um, and then below it is maybe like an idea of how I would apply it. And so like, there's the original idea. Maybe it's, it's, it's kind of gives me insight to an idea I might've had four years ago and the, the original spark that it, it gave me. Hmm. And so there, um, so you, you write down the piece of information, you write down what you want to do with that information, and then you write down the results, uh, after you have, tried to implement whatever it was that that you you know were were attempting to do mm -hmm. and so um there's a lot of really terrible ideas that i have in my notebooks uh there are there are plenty of ideas that i still haven't even tried yet 
But they're, you know, in that same light, some of those ideas are things that I, I hope I can carry out over the next 10 years because yeah. I do feel like they'll have value. And then there's plenty of things just like when I might myself up, right? Um, uh, I was reading a lot about how important communication was and, and um, the words that you use are very valuable. And so I said, okay, well, let's see what kind of words I use. Yeah. And, um, and so then I went and I would modify what you know my behavior and how I was talking to players and and see what their their reactions were to it and 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 so there you go like there was an idea there was application there were results um sometimes I forget uh the best my my own best advice but um I think I think ultimately that's what you can control as a coach and therefore it's it's probably what you can implement most consistently um and ideally, uh, it'll, it'll lead you to the most success. I love it. Okay. Well, last question I got for you guys. You know, you've been forthright with your time and certainly transparent on a lot of fronts, which we really appreciate. But Dylan, kick us off on this one. This is just general. This is just basic coaching information, coaching knowledge. When you think about the best advice you've been given and what other advice would you have, what would you offer our guys? Um, okay. So initially the, the thought that comes to mind and, uh, again, I, I believe I said it, uh, last year on the expo uh, stage was, and, and I'll paraphrase just because I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, from Dr. Peter Fatty, and mm -hmm. when you're when you're trying to create uh, some of these training environments, you want um, to align winning with learning, because ultimately, as competitors, as players, mm. uh, the winning aspect will take over, and so. Uh, if, if what they're supposed to learn does not directly line up with, uh, the winning of that task, uh, drill challenge, then they're not going to take away what you want them to take away. I was going to let you know that'll, that'll show up on a quote graphic. I'm sure that was, that was money in the bank. Uh, Jeff, take us home, my man, take us home on the best advice you've been given other advice you have for coaches. What would you offer? Well, what kind of comes to mind for me is like, there's not really this idea of, oh, I, I made it or I did this or that as a coach. Um, even after your organization wins a World Series or whatever it is, there's a quote from Ryan Holiday. I think this was from Ego is the Enemy uh, or Obstacles Away, one of those. Mm -hmm. that, it says, um, behind the mountains are more mountains. So, like, you're climbing the high school or college coaching mountain, you get to the top of that. Well, like, and you won and or whatever it is, and then you want to go to pro ball or maybe consistent winning or whatever, like there's always going to be another mountain behind that one, um, you know, that you climb. So mm -hmm. it, I think it's important to, I guess, like be um, progressive, but uh, I am cautious about being overly tied to something that I overvaluing some uh, perception of past success in a way that blocks um, with like moving forward in the future because you're going to do mm -hmm. something and then if you really had success other people are going to be competing for that thing too and so that that process or whatever it is uh, never is never really going to stop um, so I think that idea of just being um, constantly evolving learning moving forward um, and uh basically like pursuing the continuing education, um, you know, process is always something that I have, 
uh, in my mind is probably like the most valuable thing uh, coaching wise. Like mm -hmm. um, we talk to the coaches, the players all the time. We want them to do their work and do their early work, this, that, and the other. I see that whether it's like, I, I value reading personally a lot, but um, whether it's reading or learning or externally, um, I kind of see that as like the early work for coaches. Mm. So showing up to showing up to practice your game that's experience that everybody that's coaching, everybody's doing that. Yeah. So what are you doing when you're outside of that? That's not the early work or the extra work that you're asking the player to do. Like the player showing up to practice the game is just what every other player is doing. Yeah. You, you're asking that player to like do something in the weight room or like work something on his, you know, work on this drill or whatever at home on his own. <clears throat> and so I feel like if we're coaches and we're asking players to do that, we need to be doing that same thing ourselves. Um, and basically like, uh, positioning ourselves to keep growing in the future instead of clinging to this thing that's helping us now. And then five or 10 years from now, everyone's kind of moved on from that. So, um, same thing that you're asking your players to do, just keep getting better. One last thing I got to mention on that is because this is, this podcast right here is the best, is an example in and of itself, because when I, I it was like 2008, 2009, I just started with the. Cardinals, mm -hmm. Kevin Ritter, Coast to Coast Baseball Camp, Roger Dean Stadium, Sheets, Andrew Bartman. Yep. They're doing the camp. I forgot how I even heard of the camp, but I show, I lived across the street. So I was yep. like, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep coaching. I show up, meet these guys there. And so now all these, you know, 11 years later, uh, it's really cool to see what you guys have done, not only on, on your own career, but now helping guys out through the ABCA. So being able to just, um, you know, get together with you guys on this podcast and then, uh, you know, try to contribute. It's been really cool. Just think if somebody walked up and said, Hey, you two, you're going to be on a podcast in about 10 years together. Dylan, same <laughs> thing. Hey, you come work camp and, and 10 years from now, you're going to be on a podcast. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Gosh, that's the beauty of baseball. Um, gentlemen, thanks for being so, so again, giving with your time. I know Jeff, you gotta, you gotta skedaddle and catch a flight and Dylan, you're going to hang out and just, uh, put your hands through your hair some more, but what you guys <laughs> are, are doing for the game. And more importantly, <laughs> how you're challenging coaches and how you're challenging yourself. Honestly, it is truly motivating. It's, it's inspirational. And we appreciate you offering that on our show. So again, I've been with Dylan Lawson, hitting coordinator for the New York Yankees and Jeff Albert, the major league hitting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. Gentlemen, thanks for jumping on the call and look forward to catching you guys both in Dallas. Thanks. Chief. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for dialing into our calls from the clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. A huge thanks again to the great folks over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking at doing any upgrades at your facility, head over to AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com and see why they've been ahead of the curve for almost 50 years. Now, here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, we're here to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org, for more information. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at ABCA1945. You can find us on Facebook as well. And feel free to reach out to me directly at any time on Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA. Org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. 
As always, coaches, thank you for listening in and staying dialed into our podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.